So if you would, please keep your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to continue to kind of look at that passage as we study it together this morning. With the sermon title, Baptism, a three-point gospel sermon. So we've, we've actually already watched four sermons this morning. Uh, before we hear this sermon, we've, we've watched four. And so this sermon is going to be about what is it that we've just watched? And why do we do this? And why do we do it like this? And uh, what was going on this morning? And wh- what is baptism? Why is it practiced this way? What is the significance and the meaning of what we've all observed this morning together? And we're going to do that by studying the passage of Scripture here where Paul says in the very simple, succinct terms, this is the gospel. Let's pray together and ask for the Lord to help us this morning as we look at this matter of first importance. Father, we love you and praise you. We have, it's already been a joy to be here together today to witness visually a claim, a profession of faith of what you have done internally in the lives of these precious four young ladies. And so we get to celebrate that. We, we get to honor the Lord Jesus Christ and worship him today in a very special way. And then we, uh, as we sing songs, as we pray to your name for your mercy and graces, as we have witnessed the gospel proclamation through baptism, now we, we gather around your word to find out what that gospel is and why baptism is baptism, why it's practiced the way it's practiced. And as we do that, Father, we are we, we have essentially centered our entire time together this morning around the most important message of all the gospel. And we know, Father, and we trust and we believe that when your truth is proclaimed, when it is heralded, when the gospel is rightly presented, that the Spirit of God is at work. The Spirit of God is at work in our lives who are believers to refresh our faith and renew our faith, to strengthen our faith at times, to rebuild our faith. And your Spirit is at work in those who are apart from you to create that faith and energize that faith, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that brings eternal salvation. There is truly nothing more important, more crucial, more essential, more vital, more urgent, more necessary than this. So, Father, we we submit our, our lives to you now when we ask that you would move in, in might and grace and power and that you would build your church on your gospel of your Son to your glory. And we give you praise for what you're going to accomplish here today for eternity. 
In Christ's name, amen. So we witness Christian baptism. It's always good then to step back and, and be reminded of what we have witnessed. Why do we, as a local church of believers, why do we practice this that we call baptism? Why, why do we do this, continue to do this? And this is, this is nothing localized to the Christian faith. Baptism is practiced around the world in all languages and all groups and all backgrounds of those who come to faith in Christ. It is a universal practice of believers. And it has been throughout the history of the Christian church. And so it's much like the Lord's Supper. It's one of those two special sacred services that we hold together as followers of Christ. And as with the Lord's Supper... Remember, we studied that a few weeks ago when we observed the Lord's Supper together. We looked to the Scripture to find out about the Lord's Supper. What, what is the Lord's Supper? We do that today with, with baptism. Because we want to be careful not to practice these things separated from their meaning. We want to make sure that when we observe these and when we practice these and take part in these that we understand the significance of the meaning behind them. So it's the responsibility of the church. It's our responsibility. It, it begins with me as your pastor to make sure, to ensure that these two ordinances do not become just a ritual. Do not uh, uh, become simply going through the motions because this is something we do. This is something Baptists do. This is something Christians do. Because if baptism and the Lord's Supper become just ceremony, they, they lose their efficacy. They, they lose their intended purpose concerning our faith because these practices concern our faith. They're not separated from what we cherish and hold dear. In fact, they are at the very core and at the very root of the beliefs and the truths of Scripture that we cling to as followers of Christ. So this ceremony of baptism will become meaningless if it becomes void of the meaning behind it. Because that's where our faith lies, not in the ceremony, but in the meaning behind it. What's being communicated and the truth that's being communicated that we are affirming and rejoicing in and agreeing to. So baptism then is a kind of, of presentation it visualizes for us the gospel of Jesus Christ. Through baptism, then the gospel, we proclaim it by action rather than by word. We see the gospel rather than hear the good news when we view baptism taking place in the local church. Paul says in verse 3 that this gospel that I've preached to you, that you've received, is of first importance. 
It's the very heart of our faith. It's, it's the chief among the truths revealed in Scripture. It's second to none in terms of how vital and essential it is to man. There is nothing, nothing, no subject, no topic, nothing more important than this. This is of first importance. Of all of the things in Scripture that we must get right, this is the first. And the first two verses in this uh, passage in chapter 15 tell us why. Why this is the most important truth ever to be told. Why is this of first importance? Paul says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So we learn a few things about this gospel. The gospel is a message that must be shared. He says, I preached to you. The gospel that I preached unto you. So it is a message and it's got to be shared. It's got to be told. It's got to be given. He preached this message to those who would be, who would, be, who would become believers there in Corinth. And we also learn here in this passage, when the gospel is truly received, when that message that must be told, it must be shared because it must be heard. You must hear it in order to know it, in order to cherish it, in order to believe it. And when that gospel is truly received, Paul says we are saved by it. He says there, in which you are being saved now he's talking to believers and he says this is the message by which you are being saved so there's an ongoing work that he's also talking about in salvation beyond that first initial work that he calls received so being saved then means that the the true gospel salvation not only brings about a new heart but it also brings a new life The new birth is is only the beginning of a lifetime of becoming more like Christ. You are being saved. You who are believers are being saved. Received then, when he says, this gospel that I preach to you, you receive. That's that initial embrace of Christ, trusting in Christ, that new birth, being born again. And being saved refers to that new life, that journey of following the Lord, coming to know the Lord in greater ways, becoming more like Christ over this lifetime of following Him. And so we continue to learn in these two verses then, when the gospel is is truly received and it is saving us, that is, it is transforming us, It is evidenced by the fact that that the gospel becomes our foundation for life. When we truly receive the gospel of Christ, when we truly embrace Jesus as our Lord and Savior, it's evidenced by the fact that message is so essential to everything about us, it becomes our foundation for life, for everything in life is built on the gospel. That's why Paul says, in which you stand. 
the gospel that I preach to you, you have received, and you are being saved, in which you stand. So it's not just something we believe, it's also something we live and something we live by. And then Paul says these interesting words. Unless you believed in vain. You are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preach to you unless you believed in vain. So I understand that to mean we prove ourselves, we show ourselves to be true recipients of the gospel when we hold fast to that gospel for the rest of our lives. When we stand in that gospel for the rest of our lives. So I understand Paul's words there, unless you believed in vain, to mean unless you didn't truly believe. Unless your belief is not that saving, transforming, eternal, changing kind of faith in Christ. That's everything. Unless it's that. Now, how do you know that it's that? If you hold fast. If you hold fast. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you. So the point is this. If we truly believe the gospel and embrace Christ as Savior and Lord, here's why it's of first importance. We will be saved. We will be saved. That is, we will be forgiven of our sins. We will be reconciled to God, our Creator, our Father, our Savior, and we will be destined for eternal joy in the presence of our Savior. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's why the gospel is of first importance. That's why there's nothing more important than the gospel message. And Paul's wanting to make sure that we understand that he's not talking about decisionism. He's not talking about you make a decision once in your life and then you don't ever think about it again. You get baptized, and then you don't ever think about it again. No, he's saying this is a complete new life. If you hold fast in which you stand, that that gospel message that you and I are dire in need, we are in sin, we stand before a holy God, rebellious and guilty before him, and there's one who can redeem us and rescue us, and he's given his life to pay for our sins. And when we truly understand our need and truly see the Savior and give him our life, embrace him as Lord... Our life becomes a complete new pattern, a complete new direction, a complete new trajectory. That's why Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and pick up his cross and follow me. Complete new direction, complete new trajectory, total different life. This is the one point of the gospel 
in the Christian church in America, we desperately need to hear the most. I don't think we get it. I don't think we get it. I think a lot of us think that we make a decision, pray a prayer, get baptized, and we're going to heaven, and it doesn't matter what happens in between. And we don't have to think of Jesus, look to Jesus, acknowledge Jesus, worship Jesus. We just do what we please, when we please, how we please, if we please, and when we die, they'll preach a funeral and say we're in heaven. And we don't get that point. That you're not a true believer if you're not truly believing. Thank you. I love that. If we're not truly living, we're not truly believing. That's why it's essential to repent of sin. That's why it's essential to follow the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our life. That's why it's essential to hold each other accountable. We must hold fast. That is the evidence of new birth, of new life. That point wasn't in my notes, so. So what is the gospel? What is this message? Let's get to that. So we know why it's important. It's the only way to be saved. It's the only way to be reconciled to God. So what is that message that is of first importance that we must share, that must be heard, that must be received upon which we build our whole new life on, upon which is the message that takes us to glory? Paul outlines that in three simple points. That's why I say baptism is a three-point gospel sermon. We love three points in a sermon, don't we? I preached my fourth point in the introduction. That's how you get by with an extra point. So the first point, Paul says, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture. That's the first point. Now, let me, let's just make a note about that phrase he uses twice, in accordance with the Scriptures. So Paul is saying, now we get this message of first importance from the very first most important treasure that we have, the Bible, the Scripture. In other words, God has revealed this gospel to us. It's not something we have to discover on our own, figure out on our own, left to our own, try to come up with on our own. We do that a lot, make our own way of salvation, make our own way of Jesus, make our own plan of redemption. But the plan, the gospel has been revealed to us. It's been explained to us. It's been shown to us in the scripture. Christ died for our sin in accordance with the scripture. The scripture prophesied promised and the scripture shows it has been fulfilled in christ it's in accordance with the scripture so when we seek the answer to the most important question in life which is what happens next When we seek the answer to the most important question in life, the truth of first importance, there's nothing more important than that. There is nothing more important than full, absolute, certain assurance of your salvation in Christ. If you don't believe me, if you're lying on your deathbed tomorrow, you will. 
It's the first importance. Paul says we find that truth, we find that treasure in the Scripture. It's in accordance with the Scripture. That's where we come to know it. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse or 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, he says, you, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, the scriptures, Paul says, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul told Timothy, the scriptures, get into the scripture, Get into the Bible, and you're going to find a wisdom that you can't find in this world. And that wisdom is that there is salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You can be saved. You can be made right with God. You can be changed. You can be pardoned. You can be guilt-free. Your condemnation can be over. You can be made a new creation. You can be cleansed and white as snow and home in heaven. It's in the Bible. Faith through Jesus Christ. Salvation can only be found through faith, and that truth can only be found in Scripture. So, that's what Paul means. In accordance with the Scripture, the Scripture is of primary importance in our lives. The first point of the gospel, though, is that Christ died for our sins. Christ died. Now, that's merely and simply a historical fact. Christ died. That's just a fact of history. The man who claimed to be Christ, the man who was called Christ, he died. That's in the history books. He died by Roman crucifixion. That's in the history books. That's a simple point of history. But if the gospel message just remains a simple point of history, Christ died, there's no gospel in that because all men die. In fact, there's been a long list of guys who claim to be God and claim to be Christ, and they've died too. So just the historical fact is not the gospel. It's kind of the introduction to the gospel. Which means that the next three words of the first point of the gospel make all the difference in the world. Because if the death of Christ holds a meaning that no other death holds. If the death of Christ has a significance that no other death has, then there's a message there. There's something there that's only there. And that would make it a message of first importance. That's the only place to find it. And what is that message? Christ died. Here it is. Three words. For our sins. For our sins. So Christ died to show an example of God's love. Yes, but far more than that. Christ died to show the the price of sin. But far more than that, Christ died for our sin. So the historical fact of his death is full of theological truth and significance. You see, we learn of his death. You can learn of his death in the history book, but you learn of its meaning in the Bible, in the Scripture, in the place where God has spoken. He died for our sins. Now that's the statement of truth that the Lord's Supper visualizes. 
the death of Christ and its significance and meaning and how the death of Christ is payment for our sins. His body was broken. His blood was shed. And therefore, he took the punishment of my sin upon himself in his broken body and he cleansed me of those stains and corruption that were upon me, self-inflicted wounds that were upon me and guilt. He cleanses those. He washes those away with his blood. So that's what we look at and celebrate and cherish in the Lord's Supper. He becomes our substitutionary sacrifice, payment for our sin. His death, then, is an atonement. So in his death, he removes the one thing. The death of Christ removes the one thing that keeps us from God and condemns us to eternal judgment. There's only one thing we got to get out of the way, but we can't get it out of the way. The world can't get it out of the way. No one else can get it out of our way for us. But Christ died for our sins. So his death can deal and handle and remove the one thing that stands between us and God because our sin stands against God. Christ died for our sins. So when the baptismal candidate is lowered into the water, he or she is visualizing the death of Christ. Christ died for our sins. And then he goes on to the second point. And Paul says here in the second point that he was buried. That's the second point. That Christ was buried. Now, we might find that kind of unusual because we usually don't speak of the, the burial of Christ in our gospel presentations, do we? We usually don't, when we're, if we're sharing the gospel with someone or if we're learning an evangelism plan to share with someone, we usually don't talk about the burial of Christ. But Paul says, here's three points of the gospel. I can, I can sum it up to you in three points. And he says, Christ died for our sins. And he says, Christ was buried. Now, we say Christ lived and died and rose again. Paul says Christ died for our sins. We got to get that right. That's everything is contained in that. And he was buried. He was buried. I think there's two reasons why Paul wants to make sure that we get that point of the gospel, of the message. And the first would be this if Christ was buried, and that means he actually died. He actually did die. You bury dead men. My father's here this morning to see his granddaughter baptized. My father's been in the funeral business for 51, 2. How many? 56. 56 years. And never once has he buried a man that's alive. Right? Okay. <laughs> you bury dead men. That's Paul's point. You bury dead men. Now this explains, you see, Christ really, Christ, the Son of God, really gave up his human life on the cross. 
This explains why the disciples were so distraught and frightened and why they went and hid. Jesus was actually dead. They thought maybe he was speaking figuratively, metaphorically, something, but, but, but no, he actually died. This can't be, the disciples are thinking, but it is. This explains why the Pharisees convinced Pilate to put a guard on the tomb. They, they had heard this wild claim that Jesus had made that he was going to rise on the third day. So they said, well, you know what? Those old disciples, that's a scheming crowd. They must be Baptists, right? They're, they're, that's a scheming crowd. I tell you what, they'll probably come and steal the body of Christ and hide it somewhere and then claim that he's risen. So they convinced Pilate, you need to, you need to come and, and, and you need to, need to make sure that if, they, if the disciples get away with that, there'll be more trouble than his teachings caused. And even his burial, even his burial was in accordance with the Scripture. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 9 prophesied that he would be killed like a wicked man. He was hung on a Roman cross between two thieves. He would be killed like a wicked man, but he would be placed with a rich man in his death. And he was placed in the tomb of a rich man. Matthew 27, that's exactly what happened. Christ was buried, meaning he really died. Now, if the fact of his death is indeed a fact, he was buried, then the meaning of the death of Christ is just as true. Christ, not just any man, but Christ died for our sin. He really paid for them. He really died in my place. He died my death. He bore the wrath and punishment for my sin. He actually did that. How do you know? He was buried. He died. So when the baptismal candidate is completely submerged in the water, he or she is portraying for us that Christ was buried. I said there were two reasons, didn't I? The first reason of emphasizing his burial is to say he really died. The second reason to emphasize his burial is to say if he was buried, that means he really died. And if you see him again... That means he really rose. Because he was buried. That's the third point. Christ was raised on the third day. Paul says, in accordance with the scripture. The third and final point is that he was raised on the third day. The resurrection of Christ proves that he was who he said he was, Christ. It proves that what he says is true. He says, I will rise on the third day, and he did. It proves who he is. It proves his power. It proves his person. It proves his work. And it proves that his death really meant what the Bible says it means, that it was for our sins, that it was a sacrifice. God the Father was pleased. God the Father accepted the perfect sacrifice of his son. 
and verified that pleasure and acceptance and payment for our sin in the resurrection of his son. The resurrection of Christ, by the way, is just as historically true as the death of Christ. And that's what Paul argues in the remainder of chapter 15, the fact and the implication of the resurrection of Christ. Chapter 15, 1 Corinthians, is the great chapter on the resurrection. The resurrection then actually happened. Christ was buried and he arose on the third day in accordance with the scripture. And that's why Paul says in verse 17 of chapter 15, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. You see that? He died for your sins. It was proven that he accomplished that with his resurrection. If he hasn't raised... You're still in your sin. That's why it's the third point of the gospel. He, he arose. He achieved. He accomplished. The payment is payment in full. Look at verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. In other words, the resurrection of Christ is not only the proof and evidence that salvation is truly in him, but it is proof and evidence that salvation is eternal in the the life after, in heaven, in glory forever. He has been raised. He was dead and now he's alive. You say, but did he rise? I know the resurrection means all of that, but but did he rise? How do you know, Paul? Look at verse 6. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Paul says it it is an absolute historical fact. 500 people saw it at one time. They were not all dreaming or having the same hallucination. They saw Christ. And most of them are still alive. You can go ask them when he's writing Corinth. You can talk to them about it. They saw Christ risen. Dead men don't appear to 500 men at one time. Oh, those Pharisees did all they could to hold Jesus in that tomb, didn't they? They set a guard. They rolled a great stone over the entrance. They put a Roman seal on it that that was daring anyone to touch it. But Christ wasn't taken from without. That's what the Pharisees were concerned about. Disciples are going to come and they're going to go in that tomb and they're going to take Christ's body out, his lifeless body out. But Christ wasn't taken from without. Christ rose from within. If death couldn't keep him and the grave couldn't hold him, there's no way men could stop him. He rose. Which means this is the message of first importance. Which means if Christ arose, that life everlasting, life beyond death, life everlasting is truly found in him. Our sins are truly paid, and life is truly in him. So when the baptismal candidate is brought forth out of the water, he or she is portraying the resurrection of Christ. He died, he was buried, 
and he rose. So baptism is a three-point sermon. The one who is being baptized is announcing to every witness present. And in some places of the world, that's, that puts a target on your back. In some places of the world, that means your family no longer claims you. In some places of the world, that means you have to flee your home. But when that baptism, when that one who's being baptized, it, he, he or she announces to everyone present, I place my trust, I place my life, I place my faith and my hope, I place my sins in the one who died for my sins, who was buried, and who rose again in accordance with the Scripture. Jesus is my Savior and Lord. Which brings me to this question in closing today. How about you? How about you? How about you today? You've seen the gospel portrayed four times. And we've heard the gospel proclaimed. We've heard the gospel read. And we've heard the gospel proclaimed and explained. Jesus is the only way and your only hope of salvation. Trust him today. Give him your life today. Surrender your everything to Christ today. And find in him salvation, forgiveness, hope, peace, reconciliation, life everlasting. Trust him and be saved. But there's also another question. Maybe there's some among us that we have professed, but we didn't hold fast. We thought getting right with God was just a series of hoops to jump through. We thought it was just kind of making a decision and then doing your own thing. But Paul says, the gospel that you received in which you stand and you hold fast, you are being saved. Unless you believed in vain. Now, if that's you today, you're, you're not the first one, you're not the only one. In fact, that was my, that was my story until... 15 years of age, I truly surrendered my life to Christ. I interpreted salvation to mean jumping through a series of hoops and I'll go to heaven. And that's all I thought about. Jump through a series of hoops, go to heaven, and I never thought any more about Jesus. Except on Sunday when we talked about him a little bit. But then I got saved. But then God said, Will, you're not right with me. You've never been saved. You're a hypocrite. You're playing church. Your life is not right with me. You need to be forgiven. You need to be saved. And the Spirit convicted me. I heard the gospel. I responded, God, by grace, changed my life. It's not a perfect life. But it is a changed one. Have you been changed? 
Did you go through a ceremony or did you go through a profession? If this is my life. If, it's just, if it was just ceremony, if it's just jumping through the hoops, you can be saved today. Truly, eternally saved. You'll have to forget about what everybody else thinks. I did. I had to forget about what everybody else would think about me. And just give your life to Christ. And do it today. Let's pray. Father, we love you, we praise you, we thank you for this message, this gospel truth that is of first importance. Christ died for our sins. And he was buried and he rose. He is Savior. And we can be saved, we can be redeemed, we can be reconciled if we truly embrace, if we truly receive. If Christ truly becomes our life and salvation, then we are truly his. So Father, I pray that you would move in every one of us, those of us who, who, who are in Christ, that we would be refreshed in our love for Christ in our zeal to live holy lives because of what he has done for us to set us free from sin. If we are apart from Christ today, O oh Lord, reveal to us our sin and our need of a Savior and draw us to saving faith. And if we have been deceived by a process that we've been through, instead of yielding our lives to Christ, Lord, remove those blinders and obstacles and everything out of our path and draw us to yourself compellingly to Christ as Lord and Savior. Let us see him and see our need of him today as of first importance. We ask and pray for your will to be accomplished in our lives right here, right now, right in these next few moments. May your grace abound. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to the sermon ministry of Will Owens, pastor of Grassy Pond Baptist Church, Gaffley, South Carolina. Be sure to visit willowens.com to hear more sermons, read blogs, and learn more about the missions branch, P67 Missions. Again, thank you for listening to Will Owens. You